0: Listening to the Carboline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. With me as always is the director of Technical Service, Mr. Paula Jamis. Paul, here we are again. We sure are, Jack, and it's a great time to be here right now. I want to remind everybody if you
1: want to get a hold of us, technicalservice at carboline.com. You can also get us on Twitter at Jack underscore CTSP, and I'm at Paul Now
0: I guess we like to play a little dangerously. We got uh, E, H, and S on the line because we've decided to get a little creative in how we choose the topics here for this podcast. Yeah. You know, we kept telling everybody, we're going to throw a dart at a
1: dartboard if you don't give us good recommendations of what you want to hear. So we started kind of playing with that idea a little bit, and we realized darts against a dartboard may not be the best way for us to pick a, a show. The main
0: problem is, you can't tell what we're doing. So we figured, why throw darts when you can throw knives? I like throwing knives. So what we do is, up on the wall, we have four pieces of paper. One says cementitious urethane. One says polymer concrete. One says inorganic zinc. And the other one says coatings under insulation. These are our four possible topics. Now, Paul, I'm going to need you to duck... And as I put on my blindfold here, hold on just one second. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get up just for consistency purposes. All right, Paul, can you verify that my blindfold is on?
1: Jack, how many fingers am I holding up?
0: I have no idea, but you better get them out of the way.
1: All right, I'm going to step aside. Here goes.
0: Right. Woo. Oh, that was a close one. All right. what? It- I,
1: I, ducked, I ducked just in time. I what? didn't
0: realize that you were throwing yet, but, but we're in good shape. <laughs> I said, here we go. All right. So, looks like we landed on coatings on, under insulation. All right. Looks like we're going to talk some CUI today. Back prior to the 1960s, they didn't think you had to coat any kind of steel that was going to be under insulation. Yeah, Really,
1: what they were thinking was the insulation was going to provide enough coating for the steel. The kind of idea of, it's hot. And we're going to wrap it with something that's going to keep most of the rain off of it. They usually had aluminum cladding around that insulation. And they said, that's all we're going to need. The
0: insulation is going to protect us from all the problems. One thing we've learned, heat speeds corrosion. It right? sure does. So in 1971, the first ASTM standard was written in order to start using protective coatings underneath insulation. And really at that point, protective coatings was a
1: really loose term. It wasn't like we think of it now as being high performance and industrial coatings. It was anything. The most common thing they were using at that time was alkyd primers. And it was just, there was no performance when they actually started getting those high temperatures and they were exposed to constant moisture. You know, those single pack
0: primers just weren't doing the job. One thing we always tell people is that coatings under insulation we treat it the same way as immersion service. And if you remember back we had a whole tank lining series of why immersion is so corrosive. When you take a look at under-insulation, would we ever put an alkid into a tank? No, we never would. The other difficulty that is brought in by being
1: under-insulation, making it sometimes more difficult or more aggressive than than full immersion, is there's a lot more space under-insulation for oxygen to be present. And so we know heat, oxygen, and moisture... We're just accelerating upon
0: accelerating the corrosion reaction. So they finally realized in the early 70s, hey, we need to use a coating. But what they started to learn was that the coating selection actually was important. Go figure. So the first thing they all jumped to, it was the
1: 80s. And they recognized, they said, hey, we use inorganic zinc for all of this stuff to protect this steel. It's a great shop coat primer, protects it forever. This indefinite recoat window. So they started using inorganic zinc through the 80s, and everybody thought it was going to be great.
0: I'm down with I-O-Z. You know me. <laughs> <laughs> Can't handle it, huh? <laughs> All right, for the rest of this podcast, Paul will be rendered silent <laughs> as he laughs at my cheesy 80s rap reference. So around 1989, NACE did a study, and they came out with a paper, and, and this is back when NACE papers were I don't know how they came up with this naming system, but the I the, think this is a fantastic name. The 6H189. You think that's what I'm talking about. The 6H189. That's how they used to number their papers that way. Right, and the 89 being it was 1989. So we we follow that. But
1: but the actual name that's printed on the top of this document is the one that I can't get past. So I'm going to I'm going to try to read it in one take. Let's let's see if this works. It is called a state-of-the-art report for protective coatings for carbon steel and austenic stainless steel surfaces under thermal insulation and semitious
0: fireproofing. That was really close.
1: Holy cow!
0: That was really close. You changed the of for a four, but I'll let you have it.
1: Oh, see, I knew I couldn't do
0: it. But that's a mouthful.
1: It really is. I just want to go, Science! <laughs>
0: But the main thing that they learned in this study is that... You shouldn't w- put in organic zinc under insulation. Yeah. So remember, we talked about it in episode 15. We talked about the Galvanic series. The important part about the Galvanic series is that zinc is a more active metal than steel. So in your typical service, the zinc is going to corrode before the steel does. In this study, this, I'm
1: going to shorten it, 6H189, what they found was there's a reverse in the polarity of the zinc. And what ended up happening was, under certain conditions, the carbon steel substrates were corroding to protect the zinc. Now, that's not what it was put together
0: for. No, and this is in the, the real low end of the temperature range for your insulated tanks. So really, the active zone where
1: this is a problem comes in between 140 degrees Fahrenheit and 250 degrees Fahrenheit. And in these areas, what you've got is... Enough heat to make things accelerated and active. It's hot enough that moisture is still going to stick around for the most part. It's not hot enough that it's going to drive it off by boiling off the water. So what you've got is just a constant accelerated set of conditions, which the zinc under those conditions, especially things like having salts present or chlorides, which are, it's not uncommon to have those in the insulation or if it's in the environment and they get tied up in the insulation. So now we have a salt-rich, hot, wet environment that is corroding on our zinc, and it's causing for this reversal. So, you know, again, this is a temperature range between 140 degrees and 250 degrees Fahrenheit that we've kind of discovered through this study that we don't want to put zinc under insulation in these. Now, there is a lot of things that you can do that will decrease that risk. So it's not saying that you can't ever do it successfully. It's just saying that your risks are always going to be increased when you do this.
0: So then somewhere along the lines in another creative naming, the NACE, another NACE document that involved was the NACE Emergency Guideline 2, item 21079. that was the Emergency Guideline Protective Coatings for Carbon Steel and Austenic Stainless Steels under Thermal Insulation and Semititious Fireproofing. So we've only talked about this as far as insulation, but this really counts for the Semititious Fireproofing, like the SFRMs that we talked about with Sean in Episode 18 and 19. Yeah, it really is, because you've got a
1: similar set of circumstances. Those are... Those are porous and breathable, and you're going to have moisture that gets trapped in those, and it's going to get trapped up against that surface. So again, you've got hot moisture being held against your your substrate. But
0: I, I find it entertaining that it was called the emergency guideline. Was there like, we got to release this? Step. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: as I, as I was doing some of this some of this reading, it turns out that. In the in the, in the the south, in the Gulf area, there were a couple of major manufacturing disasters that happened. That as they got into looking at these, they said, hey, we found a lot more corrosion than we thought we were going to find. And they had pipes bursting and they had just total breakdowns in systems. So they tried to put something together as quick as they could to get it out to the whole industry and say, hey, this is dangerous. We need to go back in. And, and it was... It was millions and millions and millions of dollars of repairs that needed to be done to these systems.
0: So these standards eventually evolved into the first draft of what we know today. And and this was the NACE RPO 198.
1: Yeah, so today they have modified and updated. The NACE has updated their standards. And instead of being the RPO, it's now SP. And it's a standard practice. And what it has is it has categories for carbon steel and stainless steel, and they've got them separated, but both of them for under insulation. In the carbon steel section, there's about 10 different categories that you can work with, and the stainless steel has seven. And they label them as as CS1, CS2 for carbon steel, or SS1, SS2 for stainless.
0: And the difference between these categories really is just the temperature ranges at which they're going to allow the generic type of coating to be put under insulation, and cementitious fireproofing. So these different systems are really the different temperature ranges, and then they give you a recommendation for what kind of coating you can use. Right. They really do leave it up to the coating manufacturers to say, which of your products
1: will fit in this range the best? They don't want it to be something where they're too specific in any of these. So they allow it to be you know, temperature ranges of negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit to 140 Uh, CS3 is a common one. It's negative 50 to 400. So that's why you see a lot of industrial coatings companies with a 400 degree or 450 degree epoxy, because it meets nicely into CS1, CS3, CS4 type standings, which are recommended for up to 400 degrees under insulation.
0: What we did is we gave you a really brief overview about the history of coatings under insulation. We can break it down later. And get into a little bit more of the detail in a different episode. Now you have a good idea of where the theory and thought process changed over the years. One of the things that we
1: try to do with this podcast is just give you tools for your toolbox. And hopefully an understanding or a knowledge that this document exists will be able to let you go look it up. You can get it from NACE. And it tells you all about these categories in great detail of what kinds of coding systems they recommend for you know, say a, a CS6 or something, and you can you can really work. And if you put your specs together following these, it's going to be much easier for the coatings companies to put in products that fit into these ranges.
0: Exactly. And if you are working on a coating specification, just go ahead and give the Carboline Tech Service team a call, and we can give you the proper Carboline product to go along with your situation. We have the solution. We sure do, Jack. So that'll do it for us this week. We sh- hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you next Monday. No actual knives were thrown during the recording of this podcast. All representation of knife throwing was indeed fictitious and not real. Did not happen, not even for a little bit, even for a second, definitely not at work.